0: We're reading from Psalm 139. For the director of music, of David, a psalm. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. For a word is on my tongue. You, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. The darkness is as light to you. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book, before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked, Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.
1: Extend the the length of 14 days for which they can currently perform research on a human embryo uh, that is often an unwanted leftover from IVF. And a bill just last month legalising voluntary assisted dying or assisted suicide has been passed through the New South Wales lower house and will be discussed further in the upper house next year. So there's a hot current topic that or topics that we're dealing with today. But I think the thing that makes it most complex is as deeply emotional. Doesn't our hearts cry when we see someone in the midst of suffering to the point we might consider ending their life? Or when a couple of experiences the pain of infertility? Or when we see someone we love die? Or when we hear of someone who should have been loved but they weren't? Or when we hear of a woman mistreated or abused by such an extent by a man that abortion becomes our only way out. These matters of life and death, they're hard. There's not going to be many lulls today. But they're they're matters that are not just out there, they're in here as well. So personally, Maren, my wife and I have experienced um, in previous years the pain of a few years of infertility And then we had the immense blessing of our eldest daughter being born. Since then, we've experienced the pain of two miscarriages. The most recent one was just over a month ago. At the end of 2018, my mum spent six months in ICU after contracting an infection in her brain that has had an irreversible impact on her cognition and mobility. And this year, I've watched my nan decline with dementia so that she can no longer remember the names of her granddaughters. That's really sad. And I know it's not just me. We all share in the mess of this world. Infertility, miscarriages, stillborns, the loss of loved ones. Some of us have wrestled with ending our lives. And I know of women at this church who have been through the pain of abortion and men who have pressured women into it. And with one in three pregnancies ending in abortion in Australia, roughly, I am deeply aware there's going to be so many more men and women affected by just that issue than what I know of. So what we're going to do today, as we open up God's Word, a sermon like this, 30 minutes, can't cover all of those topics in detail or all of the what-ifs, but what we are going to do is look through the Gospel and look through the big picture storyline of God's Word and look at some common threads that are actually tied together through these issues. So we're going to start by looking at creation and the value of all human life. Then we're going to look at the fall and how from the beginning of our sin we've made this enshrinement of choice, me before you, that has actually led to the devaluing of human life. Then we're going to think about the new creation and the better story Jesus gives us. By his grace of eternal life and how that shapes us and then we're going to finish by thinking about how we can be a you before me kind of church so that's where we're going to go i might pray again actually and then we'll dig into creation heavenly father for those who are in the room who are in the midst of suffering or this will bring up hurt from the past Lord, we pray that you would be their comfort lord help me to preach with compassion and care and love, but also with the truth. And we pray that your spirit would be at work transforming our hearts and lives to value the things that you value, that we would be a people who glorify you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in creation, seeing the value of all human life, well, it actually begins with a living God, the God of life, an eternal God. So, Jeremiah says the Lord, he is the true God. He's the living God, the eternal king. Living, eternal, the one true God. It begins with a living God. And David in this song that we read in Psalm 139, he praises the living God who intimately knows us better than we know ourselves for his wonderful work of human creation. So, from verse 13, "'For you created my inmost being, "'you knit me together.'" in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Human origins, our life has its origin in the God of life. And David doesn't just affirm that all human beings um, life begins from the moment of conception here. He actually goes further than that in verse 16 when he says, all humanity's days, all the days of our human existence have been ordained by the God of life before our existence. Now, isn't that trippy to think? You existed to God before you existed in this world, somehow. <laughs> So, God can say to Jeremiah, before before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I determined that you were going to happen. So, human life, unlike what atheism says, is not just some accident that just kind of randomly happened. It was very deliberate and it originates from the God of life. And in the creation of the first human in Adam, we see again, that under God's sovereign love, he forms us like this artist molding a pot from clay. The God of life breathes life that comes from him and he creates us as living beings. And as we've seen for a few times throughout this series, that means the way that God's created is he's created mankind equally, male and female, in his own image. And to be in the image of God is to be created for a relationship with God, to be images that reflect His glory and goodness, His love, as we rule and relate to one another with love. And because we're the only creatures, out of all of the creatures, who have been created in God's image, it means that all humans have value, dignity and worth. And that's been a doctrine that's shaped our Western law, our Western government. It's not some self-evident thing that humans have value and should have rights. It comes from God's Word. But note that what gives us value is not something inherently within me or within you. It's not because of my inherent abilities to reason or to be conscious or be physically able that I have value, no, the thing that gives human life value and why it matters that we relate to all other humans in love, acknowledging their value and dignity, is because we recognise our worth comes from outside ourselves, from the relationship God has determined we would have as He created us in His image and breathed life into each one of us. And you get this glimpse at the start of the Bible of just how good this relationship is meant to be. In the Garden of Eden before the fall of humanity, a garden where God placed the tree of life to sustain human life in His presence. But He also placed in the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, one of those trees signifying the path of life, and the other one the path of death. And God deliberately places humanity in this good garden. He says, You're free to eat. From any tree in the garden, go ahead, go nuts. Continue to depend on my love to sustain your life. Have the freedom to enjoy the pleasures of this good creation. There's just one tree out of the thousands, just one, you're not to eat from. Oh, he's so oppressive, isn't he, God? One tree that he puts a limit on us. Oh, that tree is the knowledge of good and evil. And this tree was this visible symbol that Adam and Eve were not free to live life and make choices without any limits. The word knowledge there can actually mean determine. And so Adam and Eve were not to determine good and evil for themselves. They were to leave that to God. Pursuing that path would mean disobeying the God of life who lovingly warns them here that that way would lead to death. But that's exactly what happens in the fall of humanity, isn't it? Satan lies and paints this depersonalised picture of a God as an oppressive tyrant. You can't eat from that one tree. God's such a loser, right? That's paraphrased. And he goes on to say, you're not going to die if you eat from this. God's just jealous. He knows when you eat the fruit from this one tree, you'll be just like him, determining good and evil. And so humanity, we disobey the God of life. They see, they eat... They, sorry, they see, they desire, they take for themselves and they eat. And a faithful God punishes them, just as He promised. He curses human relationships, so experience conflict and division. He curses creation itself. And because humanity are now like God, determining for themselves, being the king and the rulers of their own lives, deciding for themselves what's right and wrong and good and evil, God casts them out from the garden and the source of eternal life, relationship with him and therefore sentences all humanity to death. All death, therefore, is a tragedy that exists because of this original sin. A rebellion against God that now exists in all of our natures. And so David can say, not only was, did I have life from the moment of conception, but surely from the time that my mother conceived me, from that moment I was also sinful in the womb. By nature I was an image of God, now a broken image of God, and my default is to determine good and evil for myself. And because of that I'm deserving of death and God's judgment. And when we look around today, and if we're honest with ourselves and our own hearts, my own heart, We're no different to our ancestors. We all live determining good and evil, right and wrong for ourselves. In our current culture, we're going to spend some time in our culture now, we just term it slightly differently. Instead of saying it's determining good and evil or right and wrong, we use the word choice. My body, my choice. My life, my death, my choice. And under the guise of human rights, which is supposed to be about the protection of others, we've enshrined my right to choose me before you. And with the increases in technology, we've never had more choice around these matters of beginning and the end of life. Contraception enables us the choice to have sex without kids and assisted reproductive technologies gives us the choice to have kids without sex. Technology now enables us to choose the gender of the baby we'll have. So if you haven't got that boy you desire yet, then you can complete the set. This is currently illegal in Australia. That site ends up taking you to California where you can go and do IVF to get this done. But there's another way if you want to stay in Australia, another illegal way around it. A fertility specialist in Melbourne shares disturbingly I've experienced families using readily available technology of prenatal testing, which can identify fetal gender as early as nine weeks of pregnancy, deciding to access abortion of healthy pregnancies in order to get around Australia's sex selection ban. Her conclusion is not less choice, it's more choice. Let's just lift the ban on sex selection. And the the sad thing about this is that still in our current culture, at least in some countries, and there's no clear stats, but there's talk in the media about it in Australia, in the enshrinement of women rights in and around abortion, it's actually more females who are killed in the womb. But it's not this enshrinement of choice, it's not just about at the beginning of life we see this, it's also at the end. And it's it's similar for euthanasia. So Stephen Hawking once said, those who have a terminal illness or in great pain should have the right to choose to end their lives and those who help them should be free from prosecution. And so in a world without God, we've chosen death as a better option for myself and for others than life in this broken world. And we see this in pop culture as well, built as a romantic comedy, Me Before You, 2016, is the story of a very capable and gifted young man who ends up a quadriplegic and even though he's got loads of people around him to love and to be loved, he chooses me before you, death over life. I'm going to come back to this in a second but just an aside here. Because we live in a world where so many people think that this life is all there is, there's no God, so you've got to make the most of this life, we're on about the maximisation of happiness and the minimisation of pain and suffering. And so suffering is therefore seen as something negative to be avoided at all costs, even if it means choosing a pain free death for myself or getting rid of the burden of an unborn baby that is not wanted. But remember from the fall, death is our judgment because of sin. Death is one of our enemies of humanity. Whether it happens in the womb or at 100 years of age or anywhere in between, all death is tragic and it is right for us to grieve it. It's not the way the world was supposed to be. It's not something to be chosen or something to be celebrated. Now, as we come back to the enshrinement of choice and me before you, I was working with wheelchair athletes when... Me Before You came out in 2016 as a physio. And for them, it wasn't a romantic comedy. One of the blokes said it was a horror film because it communicated their life wasn't worth living. And this is what we're doing in our enshrinement of choice, the autonomy of our sovereign selves. In our pursuit of my rights, I put me before you and in doing that, we're devaluing human life all over the shop. In our sin to determine good and evil for ourselves, we've created this continuum of human value. So a little human that's left over from someone's unwanted IVF, well, it's not that human yet, according to our culture, so let's experiment on that up until 14 days or maybe more if we push that further and then kill it. Or if we have an unwanted pregnancy and to distance ourselves from... It's humanity. We say it's a little cluster of cells, just some genetic material or pregnancy tissue. But it's our choice that determines whether that little baby is valuable or not. If it's unwanted, it has less valuable, and I'll dehumanise it. But if I desire it or I'm excited about its heartbeat on that ultrasound, well, then it's a baby that deserves protection. And we see this contradiction contradiction, this choice of value, it's actually just being passed in our law right now. Um, there's this thing in the New South Wales Parliament that's just gone through called Zoe's Law, which is going to amend the New South Wales Crimes Act to include penalties for anyone who injures or destroys an unborn child, which is actually a law similar in um, Exodus 21 that we want to go, that's great. We want to protect the unborn child from um, pain and suffering. But simultaneously, our law in New South Wales makes it clear that it doesn't apply to the mother if she chooses to end that baby's life. We then move on and a human in our culture is a fully able person with reason, consciousness and minimal physical deficiency. That's fully human and their right, they have a right to be protected from death. But if they have a disability or if they're heading towards dementia and we think they're losing their dignity, we assume life with suffering would be worse than the tragedy of death. And so we have this conflicting culture. While Merrin, my wife, grieves the real pain of miscarriage and the appropriate grief of losing a life, She sits in an in-service at John Hunter where one presentation is about the improvements in medicine that can help infertile couples who are desperate to have their own baby, which is then followed by another presentation about the proficiency of services we now have to kill babies in the womb. While upstairs in the NICU ward, the floor above, health professionals are pouring in time and money to save a premature baby of the same gestational age of the ones we were just talking about killing. And soon we'll have wards keeping adults alive in the hospital, where we've got them, and wards that put them to death as well. Though We're so conflicted. <laughs> but this is, this is what happens when you take God, the God of life, out of the equation. We choose death. And if you strip atheism to its logical conclusions, then you end up with someone like Peter Singer, an Australian bioethicist, who says that you end up, um, he recommends infanticide, the killing of a newborn baby, even up to about three years old, is probably that's when it starts to get a bit grey. He recommends that that's something that might happen because of their lower consciousness. And he says it's not equivalent to killing someone over three or, you know, a fully grown adult. And he goes on further to say, and death may be permissible if the parents don't want the born child. That makes it less valuable based on the parent's choice after they're born. That's the logical conclusion of atheism. And in an honest moment, Anto- an- Antonia Senior, it's a British journalist, she says, the single biggest factor in women's liberation, choice, Determining right and wrong was our newly found ability to impose our will on our biology. The nearly 200,000 aborted babies in the UK each year are the lesser evil no matter how you define life. She concludes by saying that to defend women's rights to choose, you must be prepared to kill. In our enshrinement of choice, we're devaluing the lives of humans and justifying the killing of thousands of people who've been created in the image of God. A recent study in Australia, we've had rocky stats probably up until this study um, done in August 2021 this year, says that abortion's climbing in Australia. It's 88,000 every year. Human beings created in the image God who are killed. And many more disabled and old people will be on the way with the legislation of euthanasia that's coming in in our state. This is our messy world outside of the garden. Terrific, isn't it? And look, we're not self-righteous in this. (laughs) This is our heart as well. But friends, something far worse lies beyond death. Unless we come to the humbling realisation we are not in control. And sometimes you get this moment of truth from people. This is a book called Choice Words, which is a gathering of stories of women Um, trying to promote abortion in Australia. I wouldn't recommend reading it. But listen to what this doctor says. She says, Emotions run high and they're not always what I or even the women expect them to be. A patient can miscarry while waiting for a termination and feel profoundly sad about her loss. The outcome may be the same, but the decision has been taken out of her hands. The miscarriage, like the pregnancy before it, is a reminder of her lack of control. In matters of life and death, C.S. Lewis once said that pain and suffering in this broken world is God's megaphone, shouting to the world that something is wrong, to humble ourselves and turn back to the God of life. He is the one in control, the one who brings death and makes alive, raising us up from the grave. And this is where we see the better story of Christianity. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, his grace is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Jesus Christ, the God of life, despite our sin, despite our rebellion, he entered into the mess of this world and he became one of us. He suffered and endured the pain of this life while unlike us being fully obedient, to his father and then in his obedience he went to the cross and suffered far more than any of us could ever imagine he bore the wrath of god for the sin that we deserve to pay and that means he walks with us in our suffering he can comfort you in the midst of it he empathizes with you in the midst of your suffering he knows you and knows what you're going through and in his death, he, for- he provides forgiveness and washes us clean. And so to women and men in the room, particularly if you've undertaken abortion or if you've been a man, pressured someone into abortion, I don't know your situation. I don't know how hard that decision must have been to come to. I have no idea about the pain and the impact that that had or is still having on your life. And as one woman put it, she said, these were the darkest days for me. I've never felt as low as I do at this point, trapped. Not sure what to do or what to believe. I don't want to burden people. I feel like I've stuffed up. I feel stupid. I feel invisible. This is undoubtedly incredible, tough situations and difficult decisions in difficult situations. Can I say really clearly, abortion is not an unforgivable sin. God's mercy, it is so great and so powerful that when you trust in Jesus, you're forgiven. You are washed clean, you are loved, you're a child of God. And there's so much freedom, true freedom in that. And because of Jesus' resurrection, when we're in Christ, we all have the hope of eternal life, a new creation free of this mess the suffering of this life will be gone the pain of infertility the pain of disease will be gone all our bodies no matter how disabled we are all we are all disabled to some degree in this life we're all broken to some degree but all our bodies are going to be made new in that new creation and this truth is not just for me personally if you've lost a loved one who knew jesus or if you've had a miscarriage stillbirth or a little child die and you're a christian then we still grieve right now. Death is tragic, but not like the rest of the world who has no hope beyond death. We have the hope of not only being with Jesus, but on that day when he returns, we have the hope of being reunited with all those loved ones to spend eternity with them in Christ. And so knowing this is the way we've been loved, knowing that this is the God who has loved us with his such undeserving love, It transforms you to no longer live me before you, my rights, my choice, and to choose death. But instead, as Christians, we choose life. And the focus and call of God's love is not me before you, it's you before me. And so I'm more concerned about my obligation to love you and uphold your life than I am about my rights. Let's finish just thinking a bit more practically about how this you before me kind of ethic can work out as God's people as we live in the mess of now with the future hope of eternity. I've got five things very quickly. Value, welcoming, costly care, speak for the voiceless and rejoice in suffering. Value. We want to be a people here at HPC who value all human life. We want to value human beings at the beginning and the end of life, all equal. We want to value children, less able people, children with Down syndrome. We want to value aged people or people with dementia. We want to value people with degenerative conditions. We want to value all people. And what that looks like is being welcoming of all people, not necessarily affirming sin, but showing love and grace and mercy and welcoming. We're all sinful and in need of God's grace and so while not affirming sin, we'll welcome the person who assisted in someone's suicide. We'll still love and welcome unmarried mums. We'll welcome pregnant bridal wear. If one of our youth girls ends up pregnant, we want to acknowledge the sin, but we also want to celebrate and uphold the value of the life of that baby. And to do that, it's not just the initial welcoming, it's costly care, empowered by God's grace. That means having such compassion and support for women so that they don't feel trapped or shamed into having abortion, but giving them another choice, the choice of life for both the baby and her. And I want to make a promise, if you're considering an abortion in this room, I will promise that we as a church we will through costly love and it'll be such a joy to do this we will help you keep that baby whatever that support requires and if for for whatever reason you don't think you can continue to support that child continue to to be in that child's life I promise the second thing that we'll find someone here at church who will foster and adopt and thirdly if we can't find someone at church to foster and adopt, then Maren and I promise to foster and adopt that child. We want to be a church on about costly care at the beginning and the end of life. And the, the doctrine of our salvation, where people who are undeserving of God's love adopted into his family, right? And so that order actually lead us to consider being this church of fostering and adoption to some degree, depending on our capacities, because there is so much need for this in the world. But also towards the end of life, we need to think about costly care for the elderly as well, and for the disabled and those ones. I've personally been really convicted about this in the last few years, since mum got sick about God's call on our family to provide care for our relatives. And so mum and dad have moved up to Newcastle, they've joined church so that we can do a better job of sacrificially loving them. And as a church and an ageing population, we want to be excited about the loads of extra opportunities we're going to have to do this you-before-me love with all the oldies in the church that we love and value. Fourthly, we want to speak the truth in love. And firstly, we want to do this with each other. We haven't had time to cover why I think withdrawal of treatment at the end of life is very different from euthanasia. We haven't had time to cover why I think some contraceptions are more ethical than others and it also depends on your heart and your motive and all the what-if scenarios of abortion. And so we need to keep having a culture of learning from God's Word in this area. If you're a doctor or a lawyer, there's particular need and help that we have to navigate those things out there. But we want to keep speaking the truth in love to one another and encouraging each other to actually not let these topics not be spoken of. And so, some further reading that I'd encourage you the Talking Point books on assisted suicide and abortion are fantastic. They're really short, really clear, really helpful in getting your head around particular topics with a biblical framework. If you want to think more about thinking ethically as a Christian then Joined Up Life by Andrew Cameron is is fantastic and particularly really thorough in topics at the beginning of life, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made by Megan Best is another fantastic book to get a hold of. But we want to speak the truth in love not just in here but to the world as well. We want to keep speaking for those who have no voice both at the beginning and end of life. Our world's going to think we're crazy in this, but in love we need to keep putting before the world this true and better story only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lastly, and this is where I think we could be most countercultural, actually, we want to be a people who rejoice in suffering. Romans 5, James 1, 1 Peter 1, they all speak about this rejoicing of Christians that we can have in the midst of suffering. And let me tell you about Matt and Rochelle Schooler. They joined church at the start of this year. After trying for 18 months to fall pregnant, they did fall pregnant, but with likely life ending complications for baby Gabriel. Despite being encouraged to abort, in June this year, baby Gabriel was born at 26 weeks, and tragically he died during the labor. And their response was so good. It was full of grief and rightfully so. but It was also full of hope and joy because they knew that Gabriel and they had the certain hope of eternal life. And what's even more wonderful, at the same time at Lake Mac there were six babies about to be born in the coming months. They explicitly expressed to those parents how excited they were for them. Friends, it's only the gospel that can transform someone to rejoice like that in the midst of suffering and have this you-before-me kind of love. Let's be a church who expresses that in the way we live, the way we speak, to the glory of God. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are the God of life and that in you we have immense value that is unchanging, because we've been created in your image in relationship with you. We are truly sorry for the way that we seek to determine good and evil all the time, that we've enshrined choice and my rights and a me-before-you attitude as the ultimate good for ourselves. And Lord, we're enslaved to it. We're oppressed by our sin, And it's a sin that deserves your judgment. But Lord, we thank you that your grace and love is so much more powerful and that in your son, he came into this world, into the mess of this world and suffered with us and for us, choosing death so that we may have eternal life with him in his resurrection in light of your goodness and your love and your grace, help us to be a people that are on about you before me. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.